0: Welcome to Native Yoga podcast. So happy you are here. My goal with this channel is to bring inspirational speakers to the mic in the field of yoga, massage, bodywork and beyond. Follow us at Native Yoga and check us out at nativeyogacenter.com. All right, let's begin. Hello, today I have return special guest Dr. Michael Shea and the topic of our conversation is the five element cosmology and Buddhist meditation. I'm so pleased to have the opportunity to join in person with Michael here at our studio in Juneau Beach, Florida. I hope you enjoy. Michael has Many years of experience in yoga, meditation, body work, Tibetan Buddhist meditation, and has recently completed a training and course in the five elements cosmology and uh, Tibetan medicine. So I'm pleased to bring him here to you now. Let's start. Welcome everyone. Uh, Today I have a return special guest, Dr. Michael Shea, Michael, how are you doing today? I couldn't be better. That's great to hear. Yeah. We need that. Yeah. Need a little bit of positivity going on here. <laughs> it's long overdue, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. Um, well I'm, well, I'm really happy to have you here. I'm, I really appreciate you taking time to come back again. I enjoy the opportunity to speak with you, and I learned so much, so I'm just really happy you're here. Uh, you just told me that you have just finished a book. Can you tell me what the book is about? Um,
1: well, the working title right now for the publisher is The Biodynamics of the Immune System, And the subtitle is Returning Spirit to Health Care. Two
0: words, Returning Spirit to Health Care. Gotcha. Can you give us a synopsis of what this book is about? Um,
1: Well, as you know, because you and I are licensed massage therapists here in the state of Florida, and I've been teaching the cranial paradigm for a long time. When the whole COVID thing started a year and a half ago or so, I had a lot of friends call me and say, Michael, this is about the immune system, and this is about people's immune systems are so weak from lots of different factors that we don't have to get into right now. And in the osteopathic community, in the manual therapy community, starting after the great Spanish flu or during that time, it turns out that the people that got better were receiving osteopathic treatment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to help their cardiovascular system, to help their immune system. And so I looked at all the osteopathic literature on the immune system for treating it, you know, and that includes lymphatic drainage. There's a lot of that out right now, but there's also a lot of information on actually the manual component of treating the immune system. I put that all together and then I created a series of webinars, um, and then I realized I, this really needs to get out um, as broadly as possible on the planet because it's, it's, it's such uh, needed work in terms of our profession. And then there was the missing ingredient, and that was that I realized that what's happening with this polarization uh, dynamic on the entire planet right now is it, it's a spiritual disease. And I began looking at it as a spiritual disease, as a disconnect from the natural world as a disconnect from our community where our communities are being torn apart and and polarized with all these, you know, unrealistic views and things. So, um, and then our bodies, our bodies are being completely trashed, you know, by the food we eat, the the air we're breathing, the thoughts we're thinking, you know, the whole thing that we already know about. We've already been told that as body workers, you know, because we've worked with this, holistic paradigm forever and i went okay so how do we merge the two of them together how do we merge a a manual therapy practice and and bring in a spiritual component not so much for the the client but for us how do we bring our spiritual self into the treatment room not only in the treatment room but in everyday life twenty four seven continuous practice so that's what the book is about nice who is the publisher? Inner Traditions. Um, it's a new publisher, my old publisher. Um, I did six books with my old publisher, um, and the man that was running it at the time, uh, Richard Grossinger, uh, in, the, in the middle of this just called me and said, are you interested because I'm with a new publisher? Wow. And I said, you bet I am. Yeah, because I've been writing like crazy. And remember, I was here in the studio, I did the DVDs, the videos of all of these hand positions. So, so it's really um, burgeoned out because it's also, um, you know, teaching and learning meditation. So, you know, anything we do as a meditation practice. And so I taught that whole series here at your studio. That's right. And I hope to do it again with all these new ideas that I've, I've, I've come up with. Wonderful. When will it be available? Um, well, you know, um, I'm not sure, um, at the earliest it would be, um, July of next year and at the latest November of next year. And I actually wrote my managing editor, uh, when I submitted the book for publication, uh, the manuscript manuscript submission, it's called 130,000 words, 54 chapters and 280 images. Wow. Um, and I said, you know, I believe this book could save lives. Can we get this out any sooner? And she said no. Um, uh-huh. but at yeah. any rate, Not right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. So I told her. I said that's fine. You know, no good wine is uncorked before it's ready and
0: matured. Yeah. You are a professional in the realm of the biodynamic uh, cranial sacral work. If somebody listening is a yoga teacher, yoga practitioner, and or a massage therapist in a different modality, what's what would they glean from? the book, if they have the opportunity or chance to read it?
1: Well, I think um, the book for me is trying to redefine the human body and, and bring forward paradigms that you and I are very familiar with. And I think the first thing is the notion of five elements. Um, I've heard so many doctors say that the system is broken, you know, and we, we kind of see that and read about it in terms of the the medical system's response to to treating uh, COVID and so forth, but it's not just treating COVID. It's it's an unsustainable system, and I felt like part of that was we need to redefine the body. We we need to really look at it from an elemental point of view, um, and that would bring in the yogic point of view, but but not from trying to revise the Vedas um, or the Upanishads or anything like that. But but really. It's something new. It's how do we take that information and make something new, something that's emergent that can help. And so I've been focused on that with a couple of
0: friends of mine. Nice. We have in the yoga chakras a five element correlation with the first five chakras working from the bottom up to the throat. Um, I know that you recently took a Tibetan medicine course or training. Can you give us a correlation or how similar or different or relationship to this idea of the five elements within the chakra system and within the Tibetan Buddhist or Tibetan medita- uh, Tibetan system?
1: Well, um, actually let's do this um, uh, dialogically. So let's let the audience know What are the five elements and and just name them
0: and the chakras um, and then then I can do my shtick. (laughs) Okay, well, if we are starting at the root chakra at the base of the spine is associated with the earth and there's different emotional components with each of them, but one of them is like stability, being grounded, um, the muladhara chakra. The second one is the... Uh, at the sacrum, is associated with the element water and is involved in creativity. Uh, The third one is that the solar plexus is associated with the element of fire. And the fourth one is the heart chakra, which is associated with air. And the fifth one is at the throat, and is associated with the ether. Right. And then in the yoga, there's seven. So then at the third eye, at the Ajna chakra, is associated with light. In the seventh, the crown chakra, sahasra chakra, is thought. So obviously light and thought are two additions on the idea of these five kind of elements that are commonly known. Right. So, um,
1: and then based on that, Um, how does that get integrated, let's say, into a Hatha yoga practice? Or how does that get integrated into an understanding of the human body in terms of just teaching it?
0: That's a good question. I think it would be unique and different for everybody. Um, One way that I build association with this or try to make it real personally is like with the – the root chakra and the earth element a posture like shavasana oh. just laying on the back i know yeah. it's usually shavasana is used at the end of practice but that seems like a great way to get grounded and connected to the earth and right. kind of build some sort of appreciation for the earth and gravity and that like strong connection for the water one this is purely a personal you know interpretation so but when i when someone i met someone before I started practicing ashtanga yoga, they said uh, it's just like surfing because you're riding the breath. It's like your body is riding the breath, which is like riding a wave. So for me, the up dog and the down dog is very Mm wave-like, has like a water quality to it. So um, getting into that sort of rhythm that would be associated with water, personally, is, is an element that I feel like also could be representative of impermanence, constantly changing, Mm -hmm. moving. For me, the the third one, fire, uh, there's a technique called Udhyana which can be used prior to practice where you stand and put your hands on your knees and get like a forward fold at your hips and you exhale your air and draw the belly in and up as high as you can, holding the breath, and that can create a ton of heat. Right, so um, you know, there's that fire element, but also, I feel like <clears throat> devotion, bringing a devotion, devotional aspect into the practice, and um, on that level, in terms of fire, with this chakra, it involves pleasure, but also personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea of choosing what fuel to throw on the fire. You know, <laughs> if I can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean we have a body and we can enjoy it. Right. But what do I want to partake in? What what energy, what fuel, what fire? How do I want to build my fire? Right. So I think bringing that aspect into the yoga practice to start becoming a, familiar with it for the fourth one, air, naturally with the heart, you know, I, I feel like pranayama practice and having a connection to a breath practice and um with the fifth one, with ether being at the throat, learning a mantra practice and learning, well, obviously, we or we have this idea of the ability to communicate clearly and express emotion. Right. I love the Hanuman Chalisa. Oh. So, and Hanuman, there's our representation of him opening up his right. heart and chest and showing Raman Sita and his devotion to Raman Sita. So, I think the having some sort of chanting practice or sound vibration practice helps me to connect with that ether element. Um, but that's, these are my own personal ways of connecting these other elements into this chakra system to make it right, seem real right. and less esoteric or yeah. less like unapproachable. What, what are your thoughts? Um, I like that, Todd. Uh, I like that a lot. And
1: especially the devotional component, because I think that's really a, a big missing ingredient. Um I have to say, just as an aside, I did listen to your Hanuman Chalisa that you made, and I like it a lot. Thank you. And I think um I do listen to a lot of devotional music, you know, like Krishna Das, I just, you know, like his stuff and the uh, the different devotional components that seem to be missing in, in spiritual practice for a lot of people, mm. but at any rate, um, thank you for that because it yeah. warms my heart and oh. i I just I really love the way you configured that because it it, it has a sense of authenticity and, and accuracy um, in terms of how the body works. the way i've um, worked with it. Uh, And the the way I'm learning about it, I should say, because I'm in a very active learning process uh, with it. Of course, you have the two systems of elements the Sino Tibetan system, uh, where they go from, they start with fire, and it includes wood and metal and so forth. I'm not so familiar with that, um, although I had to take a course in it last week, but I still am not that familiar with it. But it has a lot to do with the organ systems. But I'm more familiar with what you just um, said, and that is the so-called um, um, Indo-Tibetan system um, with, the, with the elements. So in the Tibetan system, the way they adopted um, the Indian elements, the Ayurvedic elements, and then the, the elements as they were laid out in the um, the various Ayurvedic texts, which apparently I learned go back 10,000 years, some of them. Nice. So. Um the element of space, um, and it has to do with cosmology, um, that this universe is finite. And we have to imagine that there was a previous universe that just burned out because everything is impermanent. So the notion of impermanence that you mentioned is it beautiful. And when that universe died out, <clears throat> all that was left um, was just a, a particle of space, an element of space. Um which in Buddhism is called uh, emptiness. But it's also associated with a sacred sound. That's all that's left. And then it has to get carried forward into the next universe. And it gets carried forward um, via the wind, or what is called in Buddhism the, the karmic wind. And so that karmic wind has collected every sentient being's unfinished business for however many millions of years. And... If you look around the planet right now, there's a lot of unfinished business um, that, that's, that's coming up. So there's a lot of karma that's ripening for people, if we could use that term, uh, hopefully um, in a relatively humorous way without getting too serious about it. So space first comes forward into the new universe, um, karmic wind. But karmic wind also co-arises with wisdom wind. And you, you have that element of enlightened mind that's associated with clear light. um, And it gives off a prism of five colors. And so you have this kind of like, I guess we could say a big bang and then fire. Okay. So space, wind, fire. And then from the fire, you get um, water and then earth. And so that's, the process of solidification mm. of a universe, but it's mm. also the process of solidification of a human being. Mm. So we carry both the enlightened aspect of the elements, um, the five lights that are formless, that are associated with each of the of the elements, and we carry that forward in our body, in its its solidification, as both our karmic coming forward as it's held in our body, but also the wisdom that's held. So the chakra system, um, the, the central channel on which the, the chakras are embedded are all part of that wisdom aspect. So we, we have both. Mm. And, and part of the dynamic with having a spiritual practice is you got to work with both. You mm. know, We've, yeah. we've got to find yeah. practices that help us um, get some relief from the suffering um, that, that we've carried forward uh, mm. because of our karma. And at the same time, we have Buddha nature. We have that enlightened aspect of enlightened mind that's represented by colors and lights and so forth and sacred sounds. But we have that also uh, within us and within the subtle body. So mm-hmm. it's really a, a marriage of those two. And understanding the spiritual component is we're just we're trying to find some meaning associated with the suffering. Um, mm-hmm. There's got to be meaning to all this, otherwise. We see exceedingly high rates of depression, um, overdoses. You know the, the things that both you and I have encountered in our own social community, of seeing addiction, of seeing suicide, of seeing overdoses. I do a lot of counseling with people with around suicide, um, around addiction. You know, my wife has been in Al-Anon for years, so we're very familiar with that community mm-hmm. and and that level of suffering. Mm. So at any rate, um, so that's the initial understanding of the, the Indo-Tibetan system of the five elements. And then from there, how I integrate it um, into my own spiritual practice and the way
0: I teach meditation. Nice. Can you give a correlation then to the meditation practice, how you implement the this idea from... The way that I first got introduced to appreciation of the five elements from the Vipassana tradition with Guenka is that when you're seated in meditation and you're holding for a lengthy period of time and you're having sensations pop up in the body, being ranging from extremely uncomfortable to pleasant that there was this reasoning that each sensation is just a a representation of a specific element. For example, if I just felt this incredible heaviness in my legs or my ankles that you were just connecting with the earth element in your body if you felt some sense of fluidity and or maybe connecting a circulation or that you'd be just feeling the water element and vice in continuing on for each of these different elements so that you could almost reason out then well if i'm feeling suffering to some degree or another it seems like it's pain it seems really uncomfortable but then connecting to the fact that it's just a representation of the elements that are already existing in the universe that there's really no big deal that these sensations are coming up it's just a uh, it's just nature it's just that's heat that's water that's earth that's stone that's air that's heat so I guess if anything then it, it puts this feeling of less like, oh, this is me, this is my suffering, this is my pain, my trauma, my woe is me to, oh, this is just the nature of existence and it's just another sensation, which I really loved because then it was like less of a like, gosh, what did I do wrong that my knee hurts or why is my knee bothering me and why does my knee keep hurting so bad and all this sensation around my knee and uh, to just going, oh, that's just fire and earth. Right. (laughs) it kind of feels better that way but um i like the fact that you said there has to be a reason for our suffering or else we just go i'm out i mean what's the purpose why would i keep suffering this is this is so difficult right but i guess you're right if you have a feeling that this has to be for something this is not for just the sake of suffering. But I waver in between those two. I, I Sometimes I'm like, yeah, there's probably a purpose behind this. There's something I need to learn. There's and then other days I'm just like, there's no re It's just all meaningless and just empty. So I don't. The reason I think a lot of people find it meaningless
1: is because they don't have um, a devotional spiritual practice. Um, and I think there's a lot, obviously, a lot of confusion around spirituality. I'm not talking about religion. Um, actually, I have a, a, I brought a definition of spirituality um, from Joan Halifax, uh, Roshi Joan Halifax. Uh, I'm in, I think, in the last podcast, I mentioned that I'm in the, the Buddhist Chaplaincy Program at Upaya. Uh uh-huh,
0: But thanks for reminding us or telling me again.
1: Uh, she yeah. defines spirituality is as the aspect of humanity that refers to the way individuals seek and express meaning and purpose and the way they experience their connectedness to the moment, to self, to others, to nature, and to the significant or sacred. So it has, it's kind of a non-denominational, you know, definition. The The loss of meaning in our culture um, I had to study a lot of cultural anthropology and medical anthropology in my doctoral work is because all traditional cultures have an origin story that tells people why they are suffering and gives them a, a, a rationale, but it also gives them a path to follow in order to relate to their suffering and in order to then move into a spiritual understanding of their suffering. So as a culture, I've heard more than enough people say we've lost that origin story, which is why I began a couple of minutes ago with a story of cosmology. Traditional cultures either use um, a ritual or a ceremony for a patient who's really suffering that takes them back to their origin as an embryo. So there's a lot of cultural rituals around um, returning someone to their to their origin via their embryology. I've seen that because I apprenticed on the Navajo reservation for 10 years, and I attended a lot of healing ceremonies. And you see all the elements, you know, the the four directions. The whole mandala is set up around origin. And my feeling is because the the cultural anthropologists also say if that return to origins is not effective— with a ceremony around finding your embryo, finding that origin of love where you started from in life, then you have to go back to the origin of the universe and the cosmological origin. So I'm going to be writing a master's thesis next year on the cosmological origin as it's taught in the tantric literature of Buddhism, which and I just gave a very short, uh, pithy synopsis of that a couple of minutes ago. So uh, part of our work, I think as healers is to know a tradition of origin and know that we're not returning someone. We're not regressing them. Okay. This is not a regression therapy. This is a symbolic return. So there's symbols set up around the return to origin. And it could be just the visualization of the five lights that that's what I taught in a class last year. Mm. Um, so, some sense of how was it at the beginning, a return to origins for healing in order to generate meaning. And as Joan Halifax said, a relationship with the sacred, Mm -hmm. you know, or the significant, you know, if these are all buzzwords that, that are triggering for some people, you know, some of these words are infected words now. So it's really about finding the metaphor that works for you. But in biodynamic osteopathy and the way I teach biodynamics it's about a return to origins. You've got to find your embryo and find a sense of love that's already built into your body. Mm. However it came and got in there and however it manifests, whether it's through the chakra system or whatever system you know you're working with. Mm. And for me, I find that a lot, you know, with my meditation practice. But when I see what's happening in the world right now and the polarization and the intense suffering and the lack of people's inability to find middle ground um, at all in some of the discourse that's out there, then it means we've got to go back to the cosmological origin, okay, Mm -hmm. in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, whether that's um, in the book of Genesis, and God breathed the breath of life into man, and man became a living soul. So whatever the metaphor is, or or the the space particle coming forward from the previous universe. Mm. So whatever that metaphor is, it's really important that we have some sense of devotion uh, and and a spiritual practice that connect us to that sense of origin.
0: Mm. When you're practicing meditation and you have what seems like pain pop up, how do you use everything that you just went through or talked about? What, What type of thing happens in your head? Like, do you say you're sitting and you start having some back pain? How do I put, (laughs) how do I put what you just said? (laughs) You mean like every time I sit yeah? into a practical, (laughs) is it something that you start to visualize yourself as an embryo? Do you, and, and try to feel that you came from a place of love and not fear? or anger, or hate, you know, like, well, how, how do you actually put this into practice? Well, um, I, don't, I don't go into
1: cognition except to recognize, oh, I've got a pain. And then I follow the instructions because, you know, there's, there's basic instructions that, that all the masters have given us. Um, I've, I've been um, certified, certified's a crazy word, uh, to teach meditation um, in an unbroken lineage from the Buddha. But meditation and, and Buddhist meditation started way before that in the Vedic tradition. So this is this is not anything new. So to answer that, it's about the five elements. Okay, so in the in the instructions for I am not sure exactly you know how you would teach meditation. You've certainly seen how I teach it, but I teach it you know two systems or two styles within Buddhist, the Tibetan Shamatha and the Zen, uh, Zazen tradition in, in Chinese and, and Japanese Buddhism. So it's always about posture. whether Whatever tradition it is, it's always about posture. It turns out that the posture, when it's taught correctly, um, it balances the five vayus. And the five vayus are the five locations of the wind element, both from the Ayurvedic tradition and the Tibetan tradition. So we sit cross-legged and and that balances the downward voiding wind. Uh we sit with an upright spine and that begins to balance the the fire uh metabolic wind in the belly. So we can soften with the breath down in that area. You know, we tuck the chin and that balances the 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 all the the life force wind coming from the top of the head. We put our tongue on the roof of the mouth. Actually, the tongue on the roof of the mouth balances the um, uh, life-sustaining wind. I have to make that correction. The tucking the chin back actually balances the upward wind for speaking. So... The wind element in Tibetan medicine is is the most crucial component because it's the wind that moves everything. It moves our thoughts. It, it moves the blood. It, it moves everything at different levels and the chi or whatever. But the understanding of the wind element as it comes into the human body, we have to understand the five values. And the posture of meditation, Buddhist meditation, balance is the wind element. You got to balance the wind element to start averaging out the other elements. Mm. So the, the five, those five areas, um, when you just sit in the posture, start to balance out. Mm. And then when you add in the breath element, you add in the, so the posture is the earth element itself. Mm. But since we're living beings, its intention is to align the five values and to start bringing the wind element into balance. Mm. As soon as the wind element starts to come into balance, then you start to do your pranayama. But the pranayama in Buddhist meditation is placing the breath in the lower dantian, in that lower chakra. You've gotta get the breath below the fire. And the fire is, is located in the upper abdomen in that chakra, The physical correlate to it is the superior mesenteric artery in terms of the embryology because the central channel in Buddhist and Tibetan medicine is associated with the the life channel of the aorta. So there's this this correlations that are made in Tibetan uh, medicine. And I think a lot of Tibetan medicine came from Ayurveda anyway. So we have the posture, we're balancing the wind element, and then we come into our breath. So if I'm feeling pain, I'm going to check my posture and make sure that my posture is aligned so that those wind element, that wind element of the five values can start self balancing themselves. And then I begin with my pranayama and inevitably I have forgotten to breathe into my lower abdomen because I'm in pain. I start thinking about it and my diaphragm tightens. So boom, it all comes down and that wind element comes down. Once the wind element comes down, it balances the fire element. And for me, I might start feeling heat. Uh, I get little beads of sweat coming down my spine and so forth. So there's a fire element. And that could be like Goenka probably said, just feeling the warmth of your body is the Mm -hmm. fire element. Mm -hmm. Go into the warmth that's underneath the pain. Mm. So we've got the fire element so far, we're really having direct associations with the abdomen because it's kind of where the action is, you know, in terms of sickness and in health nowadays. So then we, we're left with the water element. And I like your analogy with, with the yoga postures because the, the meditation posture is actually an asana and it's, it's a combination of a lot of different asanas and mm. should be taught that way. I tried to teach it that way here a mm. year or so ago. And in that asana, when you start breathing, if you breathe into your abdomen and if you're, you're, you're trying to tuck your chin, you'll find that when you inhale into your abdomen, you naturally, your head goes back and there's a wave-like motion. And where's the pivot point of stillness? It's in the heart. Hmm. So there's a balancing then of the heart energy and the breath then creates a soft front because you want the soft front for compassion. You want the elements to begin focused on compassion. And so that that opening of the heart. So the elements as they exist in the body can then get trained to be oriented around compassion.
0: Hmm.
1: So then we have the dynamic with the head and you really have to find a way to release the head so that that central channel can have a sense of going out up through the top of the head. Hmm. So that's the tongue on the roof of the mouth and the tucking of the chin slightly to release the suboccipital muscles. And that that frees up the the cranium, and you'll feel the cranium lift a little bit. This is not military posture. You can watch videos of different Zen masters, and oh my God, they look like they've been in the military for years. But it's because they're sitting on the ground, and they're just totally in the element of earth. Hmm. And the breath as a river of wave-like motion in the body. Mm. And then the earth
0: element. Um, we started with the earth element because that's the posture. When you started explaining the five elements according to the Tibetan medicine, you started <clears throat> out in the ether and then worked in toward, or out toward either way, toward uh, the earth. Right. Right. And I guess there's nothing to say that if we were to look at the chakra system of India uh, and or from the yogic system, there's no reason that we couldn't start at the Sahasra chakra or the, the crown chakra and go from the ether down to the earth. Typically, I always feel like there's this idea of you start at the bottom. Like that's where your primal energy is. And you got to somehow tame your primal energy before you can even think about getting up into the heart and being compassionate. And I remember at one point you had said in studying meditation that from the Tibetan view crossing over to the Zen view that they, instead of starting at the base, they just kind of flipped it and said, started enlightenment. Like, just get right to the, I hope I heard you right. Am I right? <laughs>
1: did, I, did I get that wrong? <laughs> right. You
0: kind of said that there was this, like, little bit of a Zen trick of, like, instead of thinking you have to do all this work to eventually achieve the goal, let's go right to the goal straight away and go the other way. Correct. Is that, is this just something that happens in all of these art forms that and, and uh, spiritual traditions that, that a way of keeping it lighthearted and humorous is that we just try to flip things around to make it not so serious or to counter someone's teachings or to just change the way we think about things? What are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, I like what you said, Todd, because um, you can't go anywhere. You can't go to the end game. Yeah, Zazen, when you read the text, they don't give a lot of instruction on meditation, but they say um, it's the the self-enjoyment practice of a Buddha. Meaning, you're already enlightened, you're already there, just sit and enjoy it. Well, hold on a second. I got a pain, I got spinal stenosis in my lower back, you know, uh, my kids are acting out, you know, I'm having trouble with my mirror, you know, it's just you, you got all this other stuff, the kleshas, as they're called in Buddhism, the emotional defilements. But um, the, the path is exactly what you just said. You've got to get grounded you've got to get down on the earth. You've got to start at the root chakra. You've got to start down on the earth. And that means you've got to stabilize your mind. You've got to have a gap in between thoughts. You've got to be able to recognize your emotions when they're starting to run away with you and stop it. And meditation gives you that skill. Okay, I don't want to, I think it's incorrect to say it's self-psychotherapy, but it, you've got to start somewhere, and meditation helps you ground. You cannot get anywhere in life without a stable mind. In terms of, of of a spiritual life, you've got to have some stability. So that is the starting point. So, and then, then you you generate you as an intention. You you've got to find your intention in Buddhist practice. You get grounded, then you have to remind yourself of what your intention is. Why are we doing this? Okay. We are doing this because I got to heal myself. I got a lot of suffering and I know that, and I have to develop a sense of self-compassion. I've got a mind. I've got emotions. I got two divorces under my belt. I could be a tour guide in hell. I know what suffering is, you know, in terms of human relationships. And I've been in the business 40 years and I've specialized in, in those children and adults who have extraordinary suffering from mild to, to severe uh, brain damage and trauma. So I'm very familiar with that. So generating the intention, I'm here to heal myself. That's really the first intention. In Buddhism, they say, well, really the first intention is to, to give it up to other people. Yes, I understand that. You can't do that unless you've done it for yourself first the definition of compassion is self first others second and then it's much easier to give to others when you don't feel resentful or codependent mm. on how you're helping other people mm. but that leads us to the third element because now you're practicing and I don't know how many minutes or hours or weeks or years you're into it and then you receive a tantric practice and the tantric practice is you start at the crown chakra you visualize your teacher as an enlightened form and whatever that might mean. So for example, my teacher, uh, my root guru um, in this lifetime, fortunately he's still alive, is the Dalai Lama. So I've been given a tantric practice by him. And every actually it's called the six-session guru yoga practice of the Kala Chakra. And I have to do this practice six times a day. Fortunately, there's a short version uh, that I can do in five minutes instead of five hours. Uh, but it's the five-minute version for people that are sick, that have received this empowerment. I'm telling people in the audience that I cheat, but that's okay. The visualization is y- your guru is, is sitting in the crown chakra. And, and then you visualize um, not as the human being, but as the enlightened form of a Buddha. Um, and w- in whatever form of a Buddha, because there's a lot of different Buddhas in Tibetan Buddhism. And then um, in union with a consort, um, which is typical. So that's the union of wisdom and compassion. So I've got the union of wisdom and compassion sitting on top of my head. And then uh, th- through devotion, that and and the prayer that's recited uh, with that, that, image then comes down through the central channel and then resides in my heart chakra. And then just, it gets repeated. Mm. So that's the end game. So you can start that way, but it's going to mess you up. That's what the tantric literature says. So it's better to start with meditation first, get grounded, see where your heart's at about your own suffering. And where is your heart about helping other human beings on this path? Where is your heart at? Because Todd, you and I are, are massage therapists. We help a lot of people. You're a yoga teacher. You help innumerable people. So, as they say, you've gathered a lot of merit. We've gathered merit, and because we continue to help people, all right. And then there's the tantric part, and the intention with the tantric part is that we can experience a, a, a greater depth of non-duality. Okay, non-separation. You and I are sitting here. And we're not separate in this Mm. conversation. Mm. We've got all this electronic equipment and we're not separate. Yep.
0: Nice. That was great. I appreciate that. When you first started, actually, let me just back up a little bit. I don't know what the definition of regression therapy is. What does that mean? You said it's not regression therapy. What, oh. is, what does that relate to?
1: There are several. the the, the biggest form of regression therapy is uh, hypnosis, hypnotherapy. Um, I I got certified in that, and you know, you you take someone into a very mild trance, and then you regress them back to oh, okay. the moment of their trauma. That makes sense. Sorry. Uh, uh, the There are other current, um, and that's a very vi- that's a very valid. Um, therapeutic method i'm I'm not in any way demeaning that it's a very very i got a lot of value out of that and it still has a lot of value the other however um, because you have to have a master's degree in psychology to get that certification um, or greater and so you've got skilled people regressing you if you hit a few bumpy spots in the regression of actually reliving an event Mm. The basic problem with regression therapy is that it got co-opted by the manual therapy community when, when trauma resolution became a big deal, um, a very big deal, oh, probably starting in the, the late 70s and, and 80s. And so I got trained in that type of therapy where you actually, you take people vividly back to the trauma they had when they were a child or whenever, and you work through it but you work through it in a very cathartic method. It's called release-based cathartic therapy. What I found in my my research uh, when I was writing my doctoral work in the mid nineties, there is no valid literature supporting release-based cathartic therapy except in a religious spiritual context. Mm. So Interesting. Th- that's, that's what regression therapy yeah. is. You yep. have to be very careful because you and I are, are massage therapists and we yeah. have clients all yep. the time that have a memory. It's not our work to process that. We can support that. We, yeah. we can be with them. We can yep. open our heart to that. Yep. It's none of our business um, to, to get involved in that mm. without an exceedingly high skill level or you're, you're going down a rabbit hole.
0: That's good to hear because I think that as like massage therapists that are coming into the field new, you know, you, you, we might think that when someone starts to express emotion and or maybe, you know, get into a remembrance of past trauma that we think, oh, cool, this, I can help them. I, I can, and then like you said, it, it could turn, can turn into a, a rabbit hole event, which I think the best part about learning how to refer learning how great referring people to professionals that are better at this stuff than we are. That's why I send them over your way. (laughs) Well, I think actually
1: um, one of the solutions to this is, um, and I think it's a really good conversation to have is how do we integrate spiritual practice into our manual practice. Mm. And for me, um, it's the development of several aspects of empathy. We we really need to become better at empathy. So, when you feel empathy, you're not required to process the person. So, the first empathy is called somatic empathy. If I have someone, if I have a client, and they are having an emotional release or tears are coming, and so forth, um, my first response is I stop doing what I'm doing, and I just check in. How you doing? Is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder? I just stop what I'm doing, and I just make contact, and and then I feel my own body. Somatic empathy is dropping your attention into your body. How's my breath? Did my breath just speed up because of what's happening with the client? Um, am I grounded? Because you, you need to get grounded. And you, you want to also see if you got triggered with a similar event that the client might be describing because mm-hmm. you need to bracket that. Mm-hmm. And you go, this is not time for my stuff, yeah. all right? Yep. So the way you configure that is somatic empathy. You, you have your hand on the client. If their breathing gets you know, really wacky sometimes, you just say, let's slow the breath down. You put your hand on your diaphragm and you just say, let's slow the breath down. I mean, no. these are simple things to do, but you have to as a as a therapist maintain awareness of your body for somatic empathy and then emotional empathy. You need to feel your heartbeat. You need to feel if you're feeling what they're feeling. And I think I was so lucky early in my career because I had a teacher probably in the 3rd year I was practicing in the early 80s and I kept crying when a client would start crying i'd start crying and i thought that was wrong and he said no 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 just go ahead and cry with the client but you had to let them know if they if they see that or they inquire about it it's not their job to take care of you mm. you can take care of yourself mm. and just say i'm okay mm. i can take care of myself
0: that's so, an interesting idea the client starts to cry you start crying and then they feel bad for you and want to take care of you. Exactly, and you have
1: to you have to acknowledge that in some
0: way. Yeah. But a lot of times, clients' eyes are
1: closed and they yeah. don't see me crying. Yeah, and they might see my moist yeah. eyes at the end of a session yeah. when we might make eye yeah. contact. But yeah. if they do, yeah, there's a there's a level of embarrassment there. <laughs> yeah, you just say, I know I really feel what's going on with you, and I, and I'm okay. And yeah. I mean, I know you're okay yeah. too. So it relieves. Yeah. Yep. The client of any yep. responsibility for taking care of you.
0: Why do you think touch and or the massage profession is so powerful and or effective at causing people to get in touch with what's going on? Why, why do you think... Me doing hands on or you doing hands on work on someone, is it just, do you just boil it down to the fact that we're not used to being, uh, having contact, like healthy contact or contact that doesn't have an ulterior motive, so to speak? Is that, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I like what you
1: said, you know, contact that doesn't have an ulterior motive. Some years ago, um, I reached a point where I had to let go of, of any agenda that I wanted to have happen for the client. That's really hard to do because if they come in with a specific complaint, you know, you want to fix them um, and it's hard to get out of fix it mode. Um, um, forgot what I was going to say because I'm kind of in, in the middle of, of feeling my way into that aspect of the client,
0: what was the last thing you said? <clears throat> what is that what is what is it about touch that uh, causes people yeah. to easily become to either remember trauma or to actually feel more emotional versus, well, I mean, movies will do it to me, Visual stimulate, like, <laughs> like, if I'm watching a film or even a TV show, that just, like, gets me. You know, if I see someone crying on TV, I can start, right. I can start feeling like they're same. Like, I get triggered easy. Yeah. I know some people don't. Uh, it takes a lot for them to feel emotion. Well, my experience
1: cool. of you is, is you've got a tender heart. And I know that that part of myself is I have a tender heart. And that's why I don't watch a lot of romantic <laughs> movies because I'm just crying my eyeballs yeah. out the whole time. So, And yeah. I love crying yeah. with my clients. Yeah. But, okay, so the question is about why does touch elicit that? And, I, yeah. th- you know, there's a lot of reasons, you know, for that. Um, but I think it has a lot to do with just – the very simple relaxation paradigm. Hmm. We, we have to keep it simple. Um, the people are relaxing. If we do not have an agenda, um, then I think people can really feel supported um, and then they, they can open up themselves. This comes about through what's called um, the containment model of uh, Self regulation. So, release based catharsis um, is a model of regulation that I can't regulate myself unless I cry and have you help me regulate through the tears. Okay. But containment means that I don't have an agenda, but I'm willing to be spacious enough and get into the elements, the space, the wind, the fire, and all of that, and hold you in an elemental perspective. So that you can actually regulate within yourself that your Todd, you and I are in the business that says the body is has wisdom, the body has spirituality. the body has health. the health is pre-existing. And that's what Andrew Taylor still said, the founder of osteopathy in the 1800s, find the health. anyone can find disease. So, in the work I do, we're trying to find the health, and that can be very emotional for people because they're not being poked and prodded and people with agendas mm. and all that. Yeah. And they feel a level of intimacy that's non-threatening, non-fearful. And the key component in all of this is that people feel safe. Yeah. We have to provide we have to provide safety. And the way we provide safety, is through our somatic empathy, our emotional empathy, well-bounded
0: touch, and clear intentions. Mm. Which brings us back to that earth element. Oh yeah, yeah. Stability, uh, safety, it's interesting. I like the within the elements, at least from the chakra perspective, that at the base is the earth, and you have root and then the next one is water so if we were to plant a seed in the earth the only way that seed's going to germinate is if water is the next element on top right and then the heat which obviously some sun would be needed to for germination and growth process right. it seems to go back to a pretty elemental aspect and when whenever i read you know mahabharata and or old India texts where there's wonderful stories about Shiva and Shakti and um, these ideas of male-female energy and, like you said, going back to creation myth or the myths of creation, uh, it seems so in the second chakra there's this idea of like sexuality and (laughs) expressing that either healthfully or just coming into contact with uh, that, not suppressing it, not over indulging it, but just right. healthy, a healthy aspect. Um, that seems like a subject that wants to be avoided often because it's seemingly uncomfortable or just like taboo or yeah. um, but it, it is interesting that these the way yeah. the elements are structured is that these are the base components and i like the fact that you brought up that compassion could almost shape the elements if the if the direction is toward compassion that the elements are almost moldable or bendable or maybe even attracted toward compassion perhaps the elements are just flowing flying going this way that way with no i mean there has to be incredible order for us to be here in the earth. I mean, there obviously are incredible principles at place that have are making it possible for us to be here now. But the fact that compassion could be that powerful of a, of a force that it could bend or move. What do you, I guess I, where's my question going here? My question is, you mentioned that we should just sit back and watch it how much are we trying to co-create with it and and move it versus just be a humble participant or well yeah that's that's yeah we're
1: not sitting there just being inert you know watching it i think the 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 word um that i like the most is is the creation of harmony when you work with the five elements you're harmonizing the five elements in the human body with the five elements as they exist in the natural world so how might i do that as a manual therapist okay well first of all i have to recognize that my office is sacred space so there's a lot of ways to do that sometimes like just touching the door frame as i walk into my office Mm -hmm. just recognizes that i've crossed a threshold Mm -hmm. into sacred space that's cool I always, um, except when I've had to work in basements, oh my gosh, but I've always, um, always configured the the massage table uh, for my work in whatever country I might be in with a window that I can look at. So what I do is that I, when I'm working with the client, you know, with cranial work, you get to sit there for five or 10 minutes and your hands aren't moving. So That's when I have to be able to meditate and make sure my mind is not trying to figure out what I want to buy on Amazon later, you know, what's for dinner and all that, although that's going to happen anyway. So then I have to apply the meditation um, practice and bring myself back into somatic empathy and somatic um, emotional empathy. But I like to look out the window periodically and I like to connect with the element of space. So, um, there's an eye gazing technique in Tibetan Buddhism where, you know, just looking at the sky above the horizon. I love looking at clouds. And of course you and I are here in South Florida in the summer. We have the best clouds. We have the best clouds. I mean, so the clouds are the water element. So I connect with space, the sky, and then I connect with the water element and, you can actually see the formation of the elements. If you just stare at the sky, you can actually start to get mirage-like configurations of, of different elements. Mm-hmm. And we're lucky because um, a lot of people don't like to sweat, but if you live in South Florida, you got to like to sweat. And that means the the fire element is very active and very alive down here. And of course, we're near the ocean, so I try to get into it two or three times a week in the water element. But in therapeutic practice, it's about space first and then, um, and then the wind and, uh, the wind element is I'm going to connect with my breath, but I can also see the trees moving outside, um, which I really like to look at sometimes. And then from there, the earth element is, wait a minute, it's my posture. And then my hands, I feel like I'm working on clay. So sometimes I just imagine that the client's body is clay, Mm. But in the, in the cranial world, in the biodynamic world, you actually visualize the client's body as an aquarium, as a mm. water balloon, mm. because 92% of the human body is biological water, according to some new literature. Mm. And so it's very easy to, to feel the human body as, as having that fluid nature. So it's coming up with thoughts, ideas, and images to ground ourselves in the elements. That aren't dominated by our thoughts, mm-hmm. having to connect. Oh, it's the earth element, and that means it's the triceps muscle that I'm working on, right? No, it's the earth element. Yeah. Let it be.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I I agree. I think uh, I think I'm starting to see your vision in terms of where you originally started with your outline for the book, and in relation to when you're working with somebody to start to feel and or acknowledge these elements. That makes me think too that what seems to happen so much nowadays is as soon as someone comes through the door, myself included, uh, like the last couple of days I've been trying to not look at the news in the morning, And um, but like when we when we come in, there's that, uh, did you see what this, do you see this, did you see that? What about this? What about that? And And I get... I get into it too. Cause I, I, I'm like, I know that was wild, right? You know, can you believe this? Can you believe that? And that can take up the whole time. And, uh, I like the idea of, I think that's really important, but then sometimes that just seems like a, a never ending road. Like it just, you know, we can keep going round and round on that about what's going on in the, in the current environment in terms of what's happening and, So I guess maybe what I'm going to try to do now is, yeah, look out the window, start breathing, um, think about some fire. Uh, So I I mean, I appreciate that because I at least have a balance of it where we do discuss because you and I did that when we first saw each other. What about this? Did you try that? And that still happened. And, you know, and uh, but it doesn't always seem to get us anywhere other than just at least talking about it seems helpful. Right. But ultimately, uh, there has to be space for this elemental work, it seems like, to balance it. Or, to- or all of it could go toward the elemental, and we just completely skip the whole drama around this news story, this storm, this global warming, this, you know, whatever's happening type of thing. Well,
1: I think people get up in the morning and anybody who gets up in the morning and turns on TV and watches their news feed is setting their, their hair on fire for the day. Um, it's, it's insanity. Uh, Doesn't my, it
0: seem like the, the, the storyline is so well-crafted and so, like sometimes I'll think to myself beforehand, like, okay, we got to get these people to watch. What's the best way to make me watch? You got to get them scared. Because, I mean, I, when, I get, when I get scared, I'm like, I want to watch more. <laughs> like to be honest with the hurricane, when right. this last one coming up to New Orleans, I went and turned on the Weather Channel. Like usually, the only time I watch the Weather Channel is when it's coming straight for us here on Florida. Right, I'm like, right. Oh, here it comes. What you know what I mean? Right. Like what's happening? What's happening? And and Tamra caught me, you know, watching Weather Channel for New Orleans, <laughs> and she was like, "What are you doing? <laughs> Why would you do that to yourself right now?" And and then I feel bad because I my response was. You know, well, normally I'm watching it only when it's coming at me and I can notice how I get so worked up when that's happening and I have to consciously step away from it and don't look at that because, or look at it for just five minutes, get the track, know what's happening, and then prepare. And so, anyhow, I guess I go down that direction because I I feel like that's so prevalent right now, like the intensity of the storyline that's coming at us every day is so amazing that I think the five elements might be Or is a wonderful solution? Well, Todd, I got to confess, I did the same thing. I I mean, (laughs) I I never watched the weather channel, so
1: I opened my app, you know, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. But I uh, have—I went to school. I did my undergraduate work at Loyola Loyola University in Mm. New Orleans, so I'm very familiar with that city. I then had an office in the French Quarter where I did Rolfing for many years, and then, and then I've got um, a very close friend whose children are in New Orleans. Mm. And I want to stay informed, um, but I don't want to get compulsive about it. So there's an edge about being informed. Why do I want to be informed about world events? I want to be compassionate. I want to pray for the people in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. I want to pray for the people in Afghanistan. I want to feel their pain because... You know, we're spiritual people, yeah. um, and I want to be able to help them. I know I can't help. I can't fly over there, all the, all this, that, and the other thing, but I can hold them in my heart, and I can do tantric visualizations, and I can do prayers and all of that, and I can feel them because it's our work to feel the planet. I can be informed. Yeah. When you get involved compulsively with world news You are contributing to your own karma and it's just going to get heavier. So you've got to get out of contributing Mm. to compulsive, you know, viewing and thinking and storytelling and all of this. It's okay to be informed about world events, but I'm just doing it from a compassionate point of view. Um, And then my wife will tell me when I'm not. And she'll just say, Turn that off right turn now yeah but I don't have we don't yep. turn on the TV these yep. are just news feeds yep. on the apps yep. which I don't look at until afternoon yeah, you gotta unless wait. it's a good hurricane.
0: yeah unless it's a good- <laughs> but I grew up
1: down here <laughs> yeah. so yep. I've had the eye of hurricanes go over me since I was yeah. eight
0: years old yep. um, and as you know yep. it's not fun. No, I remember David. It was the most incredible experience and walking out into the driveway and looking up through a tunnel of like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, like looking up, yeah. total calm, see the light, see a hole of light up into the sky. And then all of a sudden the backside of the storm, everything that got blown one way is now just getting whoosh, the other. So I know I, I can't help but watch those things with just awe and respect and just, anywho. Well, what I would recommend
1: around all that, because (laughs) if we come back to the five elements as a child growing up down here um, and going through numerous hurricanes, I've also had training in, in shamanism. So when you're a shaman, you have a direct relationship with the elements. And I realized that in going through hurricanes that I was given an initiation into the wind element. So what does that mean? Well, it means that whenever I'm around and there's a breeze, no matter what part of the world I'm in, whether it's the beach or walking in the forest, Mm. I can actually feel a communication happening with the wind. I'm getting information. I feel that information and it it guides me, Mm. not necessarily on there's bad weather coming. You know, you got to get in. That could be a part of it, but it's, I've got a friend. I'm being communicated with. Mm. I'm not making a, a, this into a romantic thing. Yeah, And it's the same with the water element. Yep. I, as a child, without any swimming lessons, would go body surfing in strong, bad weather without anybody around. And I remember one time when I think I was 12, and I was it was probably a gale. It was probably a really bad storm, and the, the waves were really big. I just jumped right in. I didn't know anything about... Rip currents. And all I remember is waking up on the beach. The great mother spit me out and put me face up breathing on the beach. I don't know how I got there. Wow. And since that day, I've had a relationship with the water element as it exists through the ocean. And I have a lot of respect for that mother when I go down to her. Mm -hmm. I pray to her. I make off my wife and I make offerings to the ocean every time we go. So we have a direct relationship with the water element. My wife has a direct relationship with the fire element. She does a fire offering every morning. I personally have a lot of fear around the fire element because as a child, I tried to burn down the neighbor's newly constructed wooden garage and almost succeeded in burning it down. And so the fire element when I was aged five or six gave me a profound lesson of respect for fire. Yeah. And I'm letting my wife teach me on on how to come back into that relationship with the fire. And so what I'd like to tell, you know, our listening audience, yes, your body is constructed of the five elements. You've got to form a relationship with these elements and not metaphorically, but mm. but directly in the world of nature and directly in your body. Okay. Wonderful. I agree. And you, Todd, have formed a relationship. <laughs> you have an amazing relationship with that that's, that dynamic from Bimini, the board, to yeah. the work, the paddle boarding over here.
0: Yeah, I had a couple of really incredible experiences, but uh, recently paddled 80 miles from Bimini to, to Florida. It took me 16 hours, and I had a support boat, of course, but it was just me behind the boat. And the first thing that pops to mind is uh, the evolution of going from uh, very challenging at night and feeling nauseous and feeling miserable and wanting to give up to having hope when the sun came up, being out in the middle, not seeing any land and like some sense of like I might make it to, um, oh... The devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other and listening to these two parts of me going you can do it no you can't you can do it no you can't and trying to figure out which one to listen to to then getting to a certain point where I was on my knees just looking up at the heavens going please please just let me through just give me a little break here as the wind was shifting northeast 15 to 20 and I'm just like going nowhere and just like paddling feeling like you know middle of nowhere. And the guys on the boat going, you can do it, man. You're good. You're we're on track. We're following the GPS. You're trust me. You're on the right to to uh, coming out of the Gulf Stream where there's the Gulf Stream is is one of the largest rivers in the world. So and it has such powerful force as it's coming up that when it meets the inshore waters, it it's like you have to punch through because it's such a turbulent spot. And I'd heard about this from other paddlers that have done this before. And, uh, the way the currents were coming and you could see like the water was starting to come in all these different ways. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Moana, but like the there's, it's a Disney film. It's wonderful. And she's in Polynesia and Hawaii and uh, the water would like kind of pull out and then like she'd walk down and grab a little shell and you know, the water would support her and do all these great things for her. And the water had this, way of like coming up into little fountains and sprouting up and spraying water. And I was like, oh, this must be the edge right here. And that's when I really was just like starting to pray to the Gulf Stream. I was like praying to the edge. I was praying to the water. Like I just, it helped deepen my faith. So I think the times where I feel like, what is the meaning that somehow being in a very difficult situation when you have nothing else but prayer, it just, when you're in those challenging moments is when you really just start talking to something bigger than yourself, whatever you want to call it. Or so, so yes, I do have a very profound appreciation for ocean and water. And when I got back on the beach, I loved the earth more than the water. I was like, like, yes, I just want to get down and put my face in it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
1: But has it changed your relationship though with, with, with the elements, I mean, now when you have you've gotten on a paddleboard since then,
0: I have because believe it or not, I was I got a new board before I went. It was it was a board that was more professional than my ability level was calling for in the in that sort of conditions. The conditions were horrific, and my board was more narrow, so it was like standing on a log. So I was I had to sit the whole time, and uh, so because of that, I mean, going back out in the ocean and. Uh, trying to put myself into challenging situations again so I can start to perfect my ability on the board because um, I'm the kind of person that when a challenge beats me, I want to get back on it and just somehow figure it out. You know, I just, I love that about it. I I just want to be pushed. I want to be challenged. I don't want things to be easy, but at the same time, I would like for things to be a little easier. You know, I, I, I I like challenge, but I also want to cruise a little bit. So, but yeah, I have, I have, I have gotten back out there and, uh, right yeah definitely definitely Well, you have gotten I, back out yeah. there
1: and you're willing to receive <laughs> lessons from the great mother from the water yeah, element yeah. as she exists metaphorically however yeah. we want to imagine yeah. her but but you're you've received teachings from yeah. her i do feel that right yeah and this is not downplaying the reality that you know that that water element also comes from a greater um, yeah yeah a greater sense of the yeah. universe
0: uh, um, is there something else for us to wrap it up that I can coax out of you to, to help us close the session
1: yeah I wanted to have a reading here um, cool. by Mencius um, a Taoist reading humanity is the heart and duty the road to stop following the road and abandon it to let the heart wander away and not know enough to search for it. What a sad thing. When chickens or dogs wander away, people know enough to search for them, but when their heart wanders away, they don't. The way of learning is nothing other than this, searching for the heart that's wandered away. And I really feel that that's the condition of our planet right now, that humanity's heart has wandered away and it's our job to find it each and every person.
0: Thank you, Michael. Yeah, you're welcome. Native Yoga Toddcast is produced by myself. The theme music is dreamed up by Bryce Allen. If you like this show, let me know. If there's room for improvement, I want to hear that too. We are curious to know what you think and what you want more of, what I can improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, please send us your thoughts to info at Native Yoga Center. You can find us at NativeYogaCenter.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, share it with your friends, rate it and review and join us next time.